Does anybody know uh, what a cartographer does? Makes maps, that's right. Well, studying maps has become a bit of a niche interest now. I actually have a cousin who's a cartographer, so now he works with our modern-day GPSs. If it tells you to make a right turn or a left turn, that may be one of his algorithms helping you get to where you, you need to go. Um, but studying old maps can tell us a lot about ourselves, can tell us a lot about the world back then, uh, how we interpreted things, how we understood things, how we saw the world in which we live, right? That's what a map is supposed to do. It's to help us understand where we are in the world, which you can just kind of pause on that for a second and say, yeah, where am I <laughs> in the world? Where do I stand? How do I orient myself? Well, of course, as they were still exploring the world, they didn't quite know, to, know what to do with some places, so they would just do this. They would write down terra incognita. Anybody know what that means? Ter unknown land. Ter it's unknown land. It's like, all right, there's something over there, but we, we don't exactly know what it is. But I had to blow up this one so you could see it in, in better script. But this is how they saw the world. Sometimes in those unknown lands, they would also then put this. You can hardly see it up there. Oh, it actually gets cut off in the image. But up there it says, Hic sunt dracones. There be, oh my goodness, we got a Game of Thrones fan or something here. So there be dragons. That's how they saw the world. Unknown territories, unknown lands. And the fear, of course, is always there would be a dragon. Well, maybe they weren't too off base. Maybe they had in mind a story that we're about to read today. When Jesus was about to go into an unknown land, into a wilderness, into a desert, and he was in fact going to face a dragon. That dragon, that father of lies, that tempter, that deceiver, that accuser was going to meet him in that unknown territory. But thanks be to God as we stand here on the front of our Lenten journey, Jesus was going to make it through that wilderness. Jesus was going to defeat that dragon. Jesus was going to fulfill his mission. Jesus was going to fulfill for us salvation. Hallelujah and amen. But I'm already getting ahead of myself because we are standing at the front now of our wilderness journey. Lent is literally an invitation to go into the wilderness, to go into what would be for many of us some unknown territory. It's an invitation to go into some unknown territory so that we might face some things, some things that might scare us, some things that might tempt us, some things that we feel might break us. But standing in the victory of Jesus Christ, our hope is that on the other side of our wilderness journey, we too will have victory, victory in Jesus and victory in our own faith and walk. Now, it does occur to me, I don't know if it was somebody being clever or if the language just, um, just, you know, just lends itself to this, but whenever a lot of us think about going into the Lenten season, what do we think about giving up? Desserts, right? I don't know, again, I don't know if somebody's being clever and they kind of put this together. Hey, we always start this Lenten journey with Jesus going out into the desert. Well, why don't we give up some dessert? Again, I don't know if somebody thought they were being clever and neat or whatever, but there is a connection in that because the desert is that place without the fineries, without the luxuries, without the comforts, literally without the dessert. We are stripped down, stripped down from all of those things. And they may of course be good things, but stripped down for those things that may detract us 
that may glitter and lead us astray. Those things that don't move us forward in our faith and our walk and our closeness with Jesus. And so Lent is that invitation to give up the dessert, to go into the desert, to enter into some unknown territory, to face some temptations, the hope of finding victory on the other side, the hope of a greater closeness with Jesus Christ as we stand with him on Easter morning. But it begins here. It begins in the desert. It begins in the wilderness. So if you aren't already there yet, I'm hoping in the, by, by the time the morning is over, you're going to be encouraged, you're going to be inspired, you're going to be ready to say, I'm going to go on that journey. I'm going to go on that journey, not because it's fun, not because it lends itself to feel-good sermons of life is full of cupcakes and sprinkles. No, it's one of those invitations to say, go on the hard journey. Walk with Jesus through this season and see what strength he might build up in you on the other side. So here's our text today, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This is the word of our Lord. Amen. Well, I had some fun last week doing a three-point sermon, so I think for the whole Lenten series, I'm just going to go back to the preacher's favorite three points and a poem and a kind of a punch at the end to try and drive it home. Uh, just going to be fun, my fun little motif here for the next couple weeks. All right, Kai. So, ah, yeah, it works, you know, go back to the old standard sometimes. So we're going to talk a little bit this morning about how God is using the wilderness in our lives why God chooses to use the wilderness in our lives, and of course, ultimately, what God is wanting to do through the wilderness of our lives. But first, let's just ask the question, why, why this whole scene? Why this 40 days? Why this temptation? And what is happening here? Notice at the front of this passage, we hear that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Jesus was not straying off course as he entered into the desert. Jesus was not being unfaithful whenever he went into a season of lack and entered then into a season of great trial and temptation. No, this was a part of the full ordained plan and purpose of God in the life of Jesus Christ. The Spirit led him there. My people, if you would assess your life right now, and I do invite you to reflect upon the matters of your life during this Lenten season. If you are finding yourself in a wilderness season, if you can think back to a time of wilderness in your own life, I want to propose to you that maybe God had you exactly where you needed to be. 
because you needed a wilderness season in your life for God to get you to where you needed to be, but maybe more so to get you to who you needed to be by bringing you through that wilderness. See, God has a theme of using these wilderness experiences in the lives of his people, in the ministry of his son, and then a continuing work through us, the very body of Christ. Whenever Adam and Eve uh, fell into their temptation and they believed the lie of that tempter, that old dragon, they took from the fruit, they disobeyed God, they sought to be more like God than they were created and called to be. And of course, what happens that they were expelled then east of Eden, their own desert, their own wilderness journey. But through that, God was bringing back the plan of redemption to call them and to call us to himself. God used a man named Abram and Sarah. They were in their own wilderness, their own barren place. They were never able to have children. They were calling upon God, or maybe even in their context, then the gods, and then all of a sudden, God answered. And he asked them, he invited them to a covenant to trust him, to obey him, to go and leave their land and into an unknown land, their own terra incognita. We know there they too would face many temptations, but through their faithfulness, God was getting them to where they needed to be, but God was getting them to who they needed to be to trust in him. We know that when the time came for God to deliver his people, he brought them through the wilderness. Now, this motif begins to play itself out, of course. Moses was in his own wilderness for 40 years being prepared for what God would do through him. And then the people of God were led through 40 years. Thank goodness for us, or I'd hope for us, you don't have to go through 40 years of wilderness journey. Maybe our invitation to Lent is to say, but we can endure 40 days because Moses had to go up to Mount Sinai into that wilderness for 40 days to have the word of God revealed to him. We know that Elijah was in a journey as he was fleeing from Jezebel for 40 days sustained by a snack and a nap that led him to where he needed to be from that wilderness journey. God chooses to use these wilderness experiences in our lives and in these wilderness experiences of our lives, so often the people of God and so often as we reflect on the journey for ourselves, this is where again, God strips away all of the refineries and brings us in a sense stripped down before himself. And so often we know, so often we know that it feels like God is trying to break us in those wilderness journeys. Everything seems to have a breaking point. I had a pencil, but I must have dropped up here. I was going to dramatically break a pencil. We know that if you take a pencil, it has a little bit of flex in it, but push it too hard and it breaks. We know that you can rev the engine of a car only to a certain point until it will break down. Everything has its breaking point. Many of us have felt very often or maybe at a season in life that we were being brought to our breaking point. I don't know who I'm preaching to or maybe if I'm preaching to everybody, if everybody can relate to a season where you just wonder, God, I mean, is this ever going to give up? Is the pressure ever going to cease? Am I going to break under the weight, under the strain, under this temptation? Am I going to break down in this season? 
the encouragement we have that God isn't trying to break us down ultimately to the point of failure, but break us down to the point of depending on him and him alone so that we may be built up with the identity that we have in Christ and in Christ alone. That leads us to the second point because the breaking down point is to get us to that place where we should stand and have trust in nothing and no one else over and above Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say that with some trepidation, of course, because we want to trust in our families. We want to trust in our friends. We want to have a level of trust, of course, but we want our foundation, our foundation to be brought to that place where we put our full weight, our full trust in the identity that God is trying to build us up in Jesus Christ. Because then that leads to uh, the next point here. So what is happening in this, in, this, in this breaking down point? But let's reflect on that for just, uh, j- just for a few moments. It says that after 40 days, Jesus was hungry, right? And we kind of can look at that and kind of smile and say, yes, I can imagine he would have been. Um, it does remind me of what has become a helpful little acronym for uh, a lot of us as we go through life. Have you ever heard of the HALT acronym? I, I stumbled upon this at some point in the journey of life here. HALT. Nobody? Anybody? All right, going to teach you something new. I like this one. Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Temptation, breaking down, giving up, throwing in the towel, making choices we're not so happy about saying things we're not so proud of, behaving in ways that we would say, I'd never thought I'd catch myself in that behavior. They often come at those halt moments, when we're hungry, when we're angry, when we're lonely, when we're tired. We certainly see that in Jesus Christ in this stage. He had to have been hungry. It says it right there. He had to have had maybe some emotional turmoil he was going through. He had to have felt an isolation, a loneliness, a profound loneliness after being in the desert now for 40 days. He had to have been exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually exhausted from all that God has been bringing him through. It just serves us well to remember whenever we find ourselves hungry, angry, lonely, and tired to stop before we say anything, do anything, behave in any manner that we know will not bring us closer to faithfulness and closer to God. I mean, now the joke is, of course, we just get hangry. The hunger leads to the anger. (laughs) So whenever we're hungry, maybe like Elijah, before he had his 40 days, God said, why don't you have a snack and a nap? And God woke him up and God said, guess what? You need another snack and another nap. Maybe some of you today need to go home and have lunch and take a nap and then wake up and have dinner and just go to bed. You could be being very faithful to God and just getting fed and getting some rest. Again, we have to imagine the loneliness that these individuals who are brought through these wilderness experiences, the loneliness they felt. I know it's times whenever I've felt most alone, most isolated, and usually I brought that upon myself because I should know there's always people to reach out to, family, friends, loved one, a church, community, but in those places of loneliness that I can feel most broken down. If you feel isolated, feel, feel alone, I, I don't know if just preaching this fixes the problem, but maybe preaching this and hearing this today might lead you to, to start resolving the problem. Just halt your life and be transparent and be vulnerable, be open enough to begin to invite true community and true fellowship in the body of Christ around you. Get involved in one of our groups. Get involved in one of our ministries. 
go to the young adults gathering today if you count yourself a young adult. I don't know what the metrics are on young adults anymore, but get involved in the body of Christ so that you might know your people to call upon in those times of isolation and loneliness. So if you're hungry, if you're angry, if you're lonely, if you're tired, and again, if you're tired, get some rest, get some rest. In so Jesus is being brought to that breaking point, just like others before him are brought to that breaking point. And then, it's then when he would be tempted to delve into some things that the, t that the devil brings before him that he is first going to call upon the identity that it has in God. Because if you notice this next stage, the attacks begin. It says, of course, if you, uh, you, know, um, uh, you know, turn these stones into bread, and then he says, uh, why don't you put yourself up here on this temple and throw yourself down? Or why don't I just show you all the kingdoms of, of the world? And, and you could have them all if, if you worship me. But all of these, all of these temptations actually begin, if you noticed in the text here, it says all these temptations begin if you are the son of God. And isn't that a curious thing if we just flip the page of our Bible to the chapter before? Because if we flip the page to the chapter before, what we see is the baptism of Jesus. And what is it that Jesus hears? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The very heart of the affirmation of Jesus, the Son of God, fulfilling the mission that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had founded from the creation of the world, being enacted now, this is where the devil seeks to attack. If I can break down his identity as the Son of God, if I can break down who he is in God, as God, then the temptations might stick. And that is still the ploy of the tempter, the accuser so often in our lives. Who are you to be a change maker? Who are you to step up and to serve the living God? Who are you to step in and to seek to make a difference in the lives of people in your community, in your world? Who are you? Who do you think you The devil is always trying to break us down and break down the identity that Christ is one to invite us into, standing in himself. You think about the things that the word of God affirms about us as the people of God. They're so wonderful. They're so inspirational. They're so amazing. We begin to tell ourselves, maybe it's just in fact too good to be true. You know, am I truly a part of the family of God? Am I truly a friend of Jesus Christ? Am I more than just a friend of Jesus Christ? Am I a brother or sister standing in him by the power of the Holy Spirit? Am I truly qualified to be an ambassador to go and to represent God to my coworkers, to my community, to the world? Do I really have what it takes to stand in that capacity? Do I really have what it takes? You do. You do in Jesus Christ. You do when your identity is founded and built up in Christ. Again, not to the identity, not to the trust, not to what we have in the body of Christ, but this tempter here is seeking to break down the very core of who Jesus is. Because if he can break down that identity, he knows that the whole mission, the whole plan, the whole purpose of our salvation will be thwarted and thrown off course. My friends, whenever you feel the tempter coming to you, just do a kind of a gut check, do a mental check, take a step back and to say, how is the evil one trying to break down my identity? as a follower of Christ? How is he trying to get into my 
marriage to say I'm not worthy? How is he trying to get into my relationship with my kids to say who am I to be an example of them? How is he trying to get in between you and the way that you've been called to serve in the church or in the community at large? It's so often, it's so often an attack on our identity in Jesus Christ. Now, of course, there's a lot of interesting things that, that, that happen um, here. Um, too much to say, of course. We have these three attacks, and you could do a whole three-point sermon we could for the next three weeks, and it would be of great value. It would be very edifying, of course, to kind of talk about what is the nature of these attacks, how Satan is trying to attack the identity of Jesus Christ. He kind of then first goes after the obvious one, uh, the appetites. God, uh, this tempter will often attack at us at our appetites because we're humans, we're creatures, we're incarnate. We have actual legitimate real appetites, but can he get a foot in there and leverage that in an unfaithful way. He's going to kind of attack his emotions. Oh, look, be spectacular, be, emo be wonderful, be adored by all the people. Throw yourself off here and the angels will catch you. So he's often trying to get an emotional stronghold in our life. Uh, he's gonna then just go right to the affections, like worship me, give your greatest affection, give your heart to me. So again, there's a lot that we could edify ourselves by breaking these down further. But I just want us to notice this, then I can get on to the final point. You've noticed this. You've probably heard messages on this. Jesus counters with the words of Scripture, right? Jesus counters with the words of God. But also notice this. All of these um, counter attacks from Satan by Jesus to him, they come from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and then through chapter 8. And a very interesting thing happens if we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses, uh, chapters 6 through 8. First, we notice that this is the fifth book of the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the recitation the, of the law. It's retelling the commands, the word of God to the people after their 40 years in the desert. As they're standing again on the precipice, on the edge here of the Jordan River, and they're being called to faithfulness and go into the promised land. This is, of course, we know the people's, in a sense, it's the second chance their second chance to live into what God is calling them to be and do. And we, of course, know, as we would think about words of Scripture that affirm who Jesus is, he is our second chance. He is our second Adam. He is the new opportunity to try and be faithful to God and his calling upon our lives. So Jesus here is affirming, I am the one bringing the redemption and the rule, another chance to the people of God. But also notice if you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, it is very famously a passage in the Bible that we call the Shema. Anybody ever heard that mentioned in a Sunday school class or in a, in a sermon, the Shema, to hear? This is the beginning of the recitation of the law, and the invitation at the beginning is, of course, to say, remember these statutes, remember these commands, remember these in the land I'm about to give you to possess. Teach these to your children. And then it, said, it goes so far as to say, just like, write them on your heads, put them on your hands, bind these words about you. So what Jesus is saying is, I have been faithful to the Shema. To the law, I have been and will continue to be faithful. I have heard these words, and now I am enacting these words. I have heard these commands, and now I'm living by these commands. So, again, much could be said about this, but this is just the encouragement that you always get from the preacher. Read your Bible. <laughs> store it up in your heart. Store it up in your life. Be prepared with the truth of God's word whenever the temptations come, whenever the attacks come on your emotions, whenever the attacks come on your appetites, whenever the attacks come on your very affections. Have the word of God stored up to counter the lies of the evil one. 
so that you can stand strong and stand victorious in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is being brought here, and it feels like Jesus is being brought to that point of breaking, but God is trusting that Jesus and knowing that Jesus is going to be faithful in this, and in doing this, he is going to be bringing him through this wilderness and into the place where Jesus needs to be, but more into the man that Jesus needs to be to fulfill his mission. Now, when I've preached this before, I've told some stories or some examples of what it was like uh, raising my kids. And it was really fun and cute whenever I was raising my kids because their own little wilderness journeys, um, now that I look back on them, they were, just, they were just adorable. But I remember going through those sort of stages of wilderness journeys with my kids because when my kids were first born, I had to do everything for them. I had to care for them, coddle them. Uh, I was about to say nurse them, but I gave them bottles. I didn't do that. So I, I did everything for them. And, and then they learned how to walk and they started to venture out. And then they started to want to go outside and I had to let them go. I remember this pivotal moment in our lives. Uh, there was like this green box at the one end of the block. It was like one of those electrical kind of conduit boxes. And then there was another green box, like part of the other. And we we're like, your wilderness, your journey can be like between the two green boxes and we would trust them to venture in that land as they were learning to explore and learning to have confidence and learning to trust themselves. I remember then once uh, on a, just thinking about these stages uh, on our vacations that we go every uh, year to go and visit my parents down, down in Florida. And there's this little villages, little shops, um, several blocks down the way. And um, at this time, <laughs> I remember my kids wanted to go, said, let's go get ice cream. But they're like, they're like, but we don't want you to go. And I was, we were like, what? They're like, we wanna go on our own. So like we gave them some money and like we were gonna like trust them to go out and to venture in this new territory. I secretly actually followed them the whole time. So they kept in my eyes, but they were expanding their territory. They were going off. They were getting more confident in who they were and their abilities and, and how they could trust it. You know, it was a beautiful thing. I, I was only gonna simply say, um, it doesn't get any easier. And any parents with grown children know that, that story as we continue to trust our kids as they get older to trust that God is with them in their own wilderness experiences. Because with each one, again, with each one of those wilderness experiences, we're not just going into a new territory, getting to a new place in where we are. We're getting to that new place in who we are. We're getting that new place in who we are in Jesus Christ and being able to trust more and more and more in his guiding and his walking with and his going through us in these desert places to get us to where we wanna be and to get us to who and who we want to be. So here's the final um, push here to close it out today. And again, it's such a wonderful and rich passage. I encourage you to reflect upon it in the days to come as you enter into your 40 days and your Lenten season. Some of your texts will call it Jesus being led into the desert to be tempted, but some of your texts will also say Jesus was being led into the desert to be, anybody know, anybody have it there, to be tested. It's one of those wonderful kind of words where we're like, what is happening here? Is it attempting? Is it a testing? Well, the simple answer, of course, is it's both. It's a big thing that's happening. And what is encompassed here is, of course, some tempting. There's tempt, literal temptations coming to Jesus, but this is also a test. Now, anybody here has been through any amount of education can reflect upon this. And if you would just reflect upon this with me for, for, just, for just a moment. Whenever you have a good teacher, when you have a good course of study, the teacher is preparing you for the exam that you know inevitably is coming down the line, right? We know when we enter in a course, 
at some point, we're going to have the final. At some point, <laughs> you know, the paper, you know, we're going to sit down at the desk and the paper is going to be there before us. And we are, in fact, going to get tested on this material. What's the old adage? Am I going to be tested on this? <laughs> God is like, yes, you are going to be tested on, on this. Because God, has, the Father, has been walking with Jesus the Son through 30 years of training now. 30 years of that education in the Word of God. 30 years of building up his identity as the Son of God. 30 years building up his connection with the community and the body of Christ. 30 years of preparation. 30 years that in many ways culminates then in this wonderful scene of baptism where the father speaks out, this is my son whom I love with whom I'm well pleased with the spirit coming down and resting on Jesus. Jesus has been prepared for the test. It should not come as any surprise, of course, that after all the preparation, inevitably the test comes. But here's what happens when Jesus goes into the test. What do we hear from God the father now that Jesus is being tested? What do we hear? Nothing. We hear nothing from the Father whenever Jesus in his season of testing. And as we reflect upon that, we think how cruel of the Father that Jesus, when he's most hungry, when he's most lonely, when he's most tired, when he's most at his emotional breaking point, how cruel that the Father is silent in this time. But have you ever had a teacher help you in the time of the test? You haven't. Because when it comes time for the test is when it comes time for the teacher to take a step back and to trust that the student has what it takes to get to the other side of the exam. And the point, my friends, is this. Whenever you go into that wilderness season, it's not just that you're in that wilderness season. It's not just that you feel like you're being stripped down from everything that has girded you up. It's not just that it feels like God is taking you to that breaking point. It so often feels, and as I reflect upon my life, it so often feels that God is silent in the time of the wilderness, that God is silent in the time of the test. But that is God saying, trust now, trust now in everything that I have taught you. Trust now in everything that I have told you. Trust now that you have what it takes to pass the exam. Amen, friends? Amen, friends? When you feel that you're in that time of testing and God feels silent, instead of crying out in despair, remember in that moment, God believes that I have what it takes to get through the exam. If I trust in his word, if I trust in my identity in Jesus Christ, if I stand on what I know to be true, then I can make it through this exam. Because, oh, how blessed, as soon as Jesus, in a sense, passes the exam, the temptations come. Jesus counters them with the word of God. Finally, he's just like, get away from me. This test is over. Then the angels attend him. God ministers to again, him again. God builds him up in Jesus Christ. So my people, my people, please, this wilderness season, this Lenten season, as you go through this desert experience, I know there will be times when you feel like God is silent. Know that his silence isn't his cruelty towards you. His silence might be his trust that you have what it takes to get to where you need to go by being faithful to him. Amen, friends? It's a hard lesson. It's not a fun lesson. <laughs> it's not a fun season to go through the wilderness. 
but it's going to get you to where you need to be, and it's going to get you to who you need to be, standing in Christ and Christ alone. Let me invite the band to come forward. They're going to lead us in some worship, and I'm going to pray for all of us. As we do now stand, as I invite you to stand here on the beginning of your wilderness season, your 40 days through the desert, your 40 days, and I do invite you to fast, to pray, to strip away some things that might be distracting you from God so that you might learn more and more to trust and to lean on him. Let me pray for us, friends. Heavenly Father, for the brother or sister that feels that they are right now already in a wilderness experience of life, a wilderness emotionally, maybe a wilderness relationally, maybe a wilderness that they feel spiritually. And it feels like a wilderness because you feel distant, you feel far, you feel silent. Perhaps what is happening right now in our lives is that you are trusting us, that we have what it takes to get through this, that we need to go through this experience. We need to go through this wilderness so that we can get to where we need to be, but just not just that, but we can get to be who you need us to be, more confident, more trusting in you and you alone. So we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Bring us through this Lenten season. Bring us through this wilderness. Bring us to the time of celebration at your resurrection on Easter. We so long for this celebration. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You hold the rain.